Hello and welcome to the Psychic Stories podcast, encouraging conversations about mental health. Today I'm speaking to Jamie Clements. Jamie created and hosts the Man Down, the Anti-Man Up Movement mental health podcast and works for a fintech firm in London. And Jamie is currently in training to be a breathwork coach. Good afternoon, Jamie. Hey Matt, how are you doing, mate? Very well, how are you, mate? I'm good. Yeah, I'm good. We're just just saying before we came on, it's been a, a busy week, which is no bad thing. There's lots going on, but yeah, no, all good. Thank you. Good. So now it's time to breathe, yeah. take some space, and then talk basically talk about yourself. So the goal of this of this episode is to have an open and honest conversation about your mental health journey, to get some insight into the tools and techniques that have helped you and are available and accessible to other people. And by discussing your journey, we hope to share and normalize conversations about mental health, as often people are not alone in these experiences. I hope that sounds good to you. Sounds great. Sounds great. Awesome. Right. Over to you. Please tell us about your mental health journey. Yeah, it's um, it's a conversation that you know over the course of starting the podcast and and everything else that I've been doing has has come up more and more. So um, yeah, something I'm I'm very happy to share. And you know, we can we can talk a bit later about sort of the power of of sharing. Um, but for me, I suppose in hindsight, and hindsight is a, a wonderful thing. Um, looking back it started for me at about the age of 15 um so my parents got divorced um quite suddenly um and didn't really see it coming so it's quite a quite a big shock or yeah, a very big shock i wouldn't wouldn't want to ever underplay that um and um from there i just sort of at, at the age of 15 being such a formative age and um such a, I guess, an important stage in, in growing up and growing into a, a man, quote unquote, um, it really just sort of, of hit me. And I, I went from being quite a kind of outgoing um, class clown type to very withdrawn. Um, I didn't ask too many questions around the divorce. I kind of just went into my own world mm. and isolated myself from not only my family but from you know everyone around me there wasn't any any conversation around it people knew it had happened but that was about as far as the conversation went um so that was i suppose looking back where it all started i think at the time i definitely didn't think like oh my mental health is really bad yeah. i was just like god i feel terrible and yeah. that's about as much as i knew as a 15 year old i think the conversation around mental health obviously has come on a long way from then so mm. there really just wasn't that sort of awareness around uh, around mental health um and then just yes, a second there, just quickly did you so at that time did you notice yourself withdrawing was it something that you felt you say okay this is a really bad situation you know you know i have changed as a result of this or was it something where you just you just carried on you know pursuing life and just changed yeah, I think um, more the latter. I think I was just in it. I was just in this this world of you know pain and and despair. Um, and yeah, I don't really think there was even. I'm sure I realised at some point that things were were different, but I don't think there was ever, ever any kind of moment where I was like, things. It, yeah, it came much later that I sort of started addressing it, and I think that sort of awareness came yeah came at a much later stage so I think at that time like 15 to you know I'll be 15 to 18 if not a little bit later I was just very much living it and yeah. still I think this is the interesting thing about mental health I was still functioning like mm. I think that's why the people's experiences of, of mental health is so unique and I was 
you know, looking back, I was very depressed and, but I was still functioning. I was still doing okay in school. I was still playing sport. I was still seeing my friends. It was just the way in which I felt internally. And as a result, I think some of those connections with people that were different. Um, so I think that was sort of that early experience. And then that carried on through mm. because I didn't have that awareness of what was going on. It carried on through to university. Um, and university was probably the first time where um, I kind of had that not light bulb moment, but realization that this wasn't just, this wasn't a normal experience anymore. This was, um, kind of this was a problem yeah. i suppose so and from, that, and, and from 15 through to 18 19 when you hit university you've essentially those experiences have formed habits and your habits that you were living every day you suddenly realize you say hold on this isn't quite right exactly exactly it was just sort of an acceptance of and i think probably it went even f- through even further to that um than that and it was just a case of i accepted that that was just how things were I think that was that was and I think for a lot of people is the the toughest part is because you can't see a way out and you don't actually have an understanding in a lot of cases as to why you're feeling the way you are um you you wind up just accepting your circumstances and and not really seeing a way out so yeah university I um so I guess to give a little bit more context around how this came up and how I started to realize things was um as what is quite relatively common i think with um children of divorce is that um that traumatic event will um can i won't say will can manifest in abandonment anxiety and issues with feeling um you know securing yourself and safe um as an individual um and so that for me um came up really strongly in romantic relationships so from the age of 15 through till probably still to a certain extent today um issues around abandonment anxiety and feeling like people will leave and when they do it being you know the worst possible the worst possible outcome and it really really hitting me quite hard and so that happened at university more strongly than it had happened previously because i think i was a bit older and the relationships were a little bit more profound um and a bit more serious so when they did inevitably go tits up because it was a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy because i was so worried about them leaving yeah. that um i wasn't myself and they you're, and you're behaving in a way that would push people away exactly yeah. so it really was just like that vicious cycle of i was so scared of it to the point that i made it happen i created the thing that i was afraid of um so yeah i just ended up having some what i think progressed from being in a place of depression about my parents' divorce and feeling quite isolated and quite alone. I then, I think actually started to get to grips with that almost like a sort of grieving process and quite a natural response, I'd say in a lot of cases, but it did get quite bad, which then the more acute issue for me became the anxiety. And then that anxiety got so severe that I then became depressed Mm. because of this debilitating anxiety. So it was a bit of a a two stage process in terms of how, how that came up for me. Um, But the anxiety just seemed to get more and more severe. And, you know, every time that self-fulfilling prophecy happened where that vicious cycle 
took place, mm. it just compounded my belief and that habit that you mentioned that people do leave. And so it actually just got worse and worse and worse. And that went through university um, all the way through till the age of 25. So I'm mm. almost 27 now. So last couple of years um, where I was actually able to get a handle on it was just, yeah, like I, I touched on awareness a couple of times, like that awareness of what was happening, why it was happening, where it came from, and a realization, and this time like an actual light bulb moment that I don't have to accept these circumstances, like this can be something that can change. It's not just, because for me, it was very much a case of, I didn't know that there was, I didn't even know abandonment anxiety was a thing. Yeah. I just thought these people were treating me in a way that made me anxious that I put a lot of blame on, on my partners for mm. um, like, I was like, they must be doing something to make me feel like this. Um, and so that kind of realization that actually, no, it was nothing to do with them. Um, not nothing, but like very much a, a large part of the issue fell with, with me. Mm. And I think that initially was pretty, scary to to accept and pretty upsetting but also eventually quite powerful because it meant that i actually had control over it um or could have control over it and also i, I assume then when you are when you have that realization and you're you're meeting people let's say you're meeting people again you're going out you know and you know striking up maybe romantic conversations relationships mm. you can then say to yourself in a place that actually i might not be ready for this now yeah. Whereas before you're going into a romantic and we all go into these romantic relationships. And, you know, if you don't have any self-awareness of where you are in your life, there's that age old thing where people say, I'm just not ready for a relationship. Well, actually a lot of the time that has a lot of value and a lot of meaning when someone said that to you. And yeah. frankly, often do you want to get into a relationship with someone where someone is going through that process and maybe you have, or you haven't. Yeah, exactly. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm a, and we can probably touch on it a bit later on, but when I started working through this stuff, you know, educating myself and reading and podcasts and all of these tools that actually helped me figure things out, I, I read a lot about, you know, relationship dynamics. And that was a big thing around realizing that, yes, you can be incredibly compatible as people, but if the dynamic and the attachment styles and the timing isn't right, then it's not going to work. And I think that's what some people, I think, unfortunately, a lot of people fail to grasp. It's like, but we're so great together. It's like, yeah. as individuals, perhaps, but there are a lot of other factors that feed into it that you need to be, that have to be right. Otherwise, there's going to be an imbalance or there's going to be just friction. Um, so yeah, it's, I mean, it's a, an ongoing learning experience yeah. by, by no means cracked it. Um, I, I wish, I wish I could, but, um, but yeah, I think so, it's, can you now, now you've got that self more, so you're, you're a bit more self-aware and working on yourself. You are able to recognize potentially what a, you know, you're, you've got almost a, like a fresh pair of glasses on where you are looking at someone and you can evaluate whether this is a good time or a good person for me to be in a relationship compared to what you were before. Yeah, absolutely. And I think a lot of that has come down to um, communication. And I think that for me has been probably the most valuable thing. And I, I even know to this day, like not everyone is comfortable with that. And that's absolutely fine. But for me to kind of assess that situation for myself mm. and figure out if it's right for me and if it's right for them, um, I just have to have that conversation. Like I don't really like leaving too much mystery to it. It's like, where are you at? Where am I at? 
do we want this? It's much um, easier, isn't it? Oh, it's so much easier. <laughs> no well, games. You, yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> um, and I know for my own anxiety that, yeah, things like games and, you know, not knowing where you stand is just not a healthy, a healthy thing for me. I know that people, you know, some people love, love playing games. I, yeah, I don't yeah, buy yeah. into that, that kind of philosophy, but um, that's because I, I have that kind of understanding of what I need and my, my own, I guess my own, uh, my own minds. Like I was chatting to someone for, for man down the other day and he said he spent the last couple of years getting a PhD in his own mind. And I think that's like, yeah. it's a great way to go about it. Like if you can be, if you can understand yourself better than anybody else, I think that's a really, really powerful tool to actually like dig into what, what actually works for you and ask yourself mm. some, some tough questions and actually start yeah. being quite honest with yourself. Um, so yeah, that's, I suppose, the lead up to um, when things started getting better. Um, so that was sort of how things manifested. And I, I started um, at university when I first started realizing and accepting the, the problem. Um, I started or tried to see therapists at university, didn't have much joy with that. But I think it was a really powerful first step to actually kind of acknowledge that there might be a bit more of an issue there. Um, and then at the end of 2018, um, I had just gotten myself into a new relationship and um, this issue of, of this anxiety just reared its, reared its head kind of more than ever before. And like I mentioned, it just kind of every relationship I went into, it was getting gradually worse because the previous one had compounded that belief. Um, so it got pretty, pretty debilitating. I was having daily panic attacks. Um, we actually worked together. And so I was having panic attacks at work. And so it just became so, so, so impactful on my day-to-day -day life that, um, I really had to do something about it, but it was also so bad, um, that I wasn't prepared to do anything about it myself. And it was actually my mom, God bless her, who said, we need to, we need to do something here. And, um, will you let me find someone to help you? And I said, whatever. Please, mum. <laughs> yeah, I was, actually, I don't even think I said, please. I said, do what you want. I don't care. I was in that kind of place. Like I was yeah. being a real brat. Um, and yeah, lucky enough um, to start seeing a therapist who got it, who I, I connected with mm -hmm. um, and was still with with my girlfriend at the time and actually that for me was really valuable to actually be able to work through a lot of these issues while I was still with someone yeah. um and yeah we obviously we're not together um anymore but yeah very very grateful for that experience and mm -hmm. you know thankful that um she was able to help me through a lot of that stuff yeah. um so yeah that's kind of where the journey has has come from and got to 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 this day um, and, so you, um yeah sorry go ahead just a quick, just a quick one. so you mentioned your mum your mum kind of intervened mm. kind of mid um just after university when you were in this relationship so so a couple of things so you were aware that this your anxiety was building up and it was often when you were in a relationship mm -hmm. but that didn't stop you from getting into relationships can you just you know from my perspective just unpack that a little bit was it almost a kind of you know, there was, there was two, there was two sides. There was that need to be loved and, mm. and want to be loved like we all do, yeah. but at the same time, recognizing that there's a big danger, there's a cliff ahead. Of mm -hmm. Yeah. I think, um, it's actually weirdly enough having this, 
exact conversation with my mum yesterday. Um, we, we're, we're close. I didn't, I didn't speak to her, I promise. Yeah, you haven't spoken to her. I haven't, I know. <laughs> Sorry, she's, Mrs. Clements. She's always doing this. She's getting involved. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, when I, the last few years, I think, before, before I kind of really made a lot of progress, um, I was pretty comfortable on my own and I actually felt pretty secure I thought I felt quite secure um when I was on my own so actually I got to a place of almost thinking or convincing myself that this issue will have just magically disappeared Mm -hmm. and it wasn't until I was then with someone that it started to come up and it, it wasn't even a case of like every time I was with someone it came up it just happened to be like a specifically um quite intense um fast relationship Mm. Uh, and that would be what would kind of kick it off um so yeah a little bit of probably naivety around just thinking that this would go away on its own and feeling like it had and then getting myself back Mm -hmm. into that that cycle because i'm feeling pretty good on my own yeah 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 yeah, someone we connect everything's fine i'm good again i'm yeah 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 yeah. in inverted commas so that um yeah that i think was that's been a big learning as well it's like i yes it's good to work on this stuff while i'm with someone because i'm kind of in the eye of the storm but also there's a hell of a lot of work that i could be doing on myself to make sure that it doesn't happen when I get into that situation. So, um, so yeah. And if you, and mentioning your mum again, so, and if you don't mind me asking, you don't have to answer. So your mum intervened when you were early twenties. Yeah. Did your parents, when the divorce happened, were they, did you feel like they were aware of supporting your mental health was there was when you did change and I assume as a parent myself to see your child change from outgoing class clown to withdrawn it must be a very distressing experience was there did you feel personally there was a support for you um I I think so uh I I think it was um as I said quite a an early time for mental health as a as a concept as a conversation um so i don't think my parents both of them you know are fantastic parents like Mm. the divorce and the effect that it's had is by no means i would never put that down as their fault like them as them as people not them as parents did what they had to do and that is you know for me I'd, I'd rather they gotten divorced than spent the rest of their lives together unhappy um point, and as individuals point. they are fantastic parents um so I'm sure they will have and the reason I'm not saying it with certainty is because my memory around yeah. that time is actually not not great because I think trauma can have that impact on on how clearly you remember things yeah. but um one thing does stand out um I remember it was still when we were living at our family home. So it was fairly early on after the divorce. And um, I think I was just in a position where I was not able to speak about it. But my mum knew, obviously knew that there was something up. So she said, look, understand if you don't want to speak about this, but do you want to write me a letter like write write down what you're thinking she was an early clearly an early advocate of journaling yeah. um, and, well, um, honestly good good honor yeah. what, what an amazing thing to to, to, to ask yeah. yeah and i think especially as well given what she was going through to be able mm-hmm. to 
you know, I think, you know, I've, I'm sure people can get the impression that we're, we're very close, but she's an incredible woman. So like emotionally aware and emotionally intelligent that, yeah, to be able to pick up on that and to offer that as a potential solution or potential way of getting me to speak about this stuff. Um, is just genius given what she was going through at that time as well. So yeah, that, that I remember. So that I think, yeah, probably answers the question. Like the yeah. support was there. Did, 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 did you write the letter? I did. Yeah. I wrote yeah. it. Um, I remember leaving it under her, under her pillow or something. Um, and I, I can't for life me remember what came of it, but I think it was just a case of write it, I'll read it and we'd never have to speak about it. But it's just kind of knowing that she knew, cause there was obviously a lot I wanted to say that I couldn't, I just actually couldn't physically speak. Um, so yeah, that, um, it's not something I've thought about for a very long time, but yeah, that was, um, there was definitely the support there. I don't think that yeah. was ever in doubt. And that, and that, that, that silent acknowledgement between you, like in a, in a situation where you might've felt abandoned yes. by that act, it almost there's an element it can bring you back closer for sure yeah just to like, say, we're in this together yeah i i am um you know we've only gotten closer since since then um and you know i'm all for trying to take positives from from bad situations and that for me you know then growing up from the age of 15 predominantly in a house with my mum and my sister has has had you know endless positives in terms of how close i am with them and also yeah. my I say this with a pinch of salt, but my ability to understand women, uh, I think yeah, has definitely, yeah. definitely been impacted by that sometimes. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, grateful for, for the, you know, for the learnings and the, you know, the, the closeness that we've got from that. And these, and, and these experiences to be a child of divorce is not, I mean, unfortunately it's not uncommon. It seems like parents of our generation, it seems like that 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 the, the rate of divorce is relatively high, and I'm not sure how it, how you get because myself I'm a child of divorce. Did it does it make when you go into or think about a new relationship, do you evaluate it differently? I mean, my view was always, I'm wanting to make this work at all costs. I want to I want to get you know have a partner in a committed relationship, married whatever, and divorce will not be an option for me. Yeah. How do you do that? I, I think you're right. I think in my mind and for other people that I've spoken to about this, I think it can go one of two ways. I think there are the people who are just like, I'm never going to be, I never want to be in that situation. So I'm just going to be independent and so strongly yeah. and independent that I'm not going to get hurt like that. Um, I'm probably more on, on the side of, of yours where I am, um, you know, loyalty and honesty and things like that are, non-negotiables for me and, yeah. and to be if i'm I, i'm not not so much that i feel i need to be with someone um but when i am with someone it will be you know i think in my mind you know cheating is and, and being disloyal to someone that you're committed to is one of the worst things that you could can do to a person so um, a trail of trust exactly it's it's a massive you know trust is not something that should be taken lightly so yeah i definitely fall on on that side and i think um potentially that sort of does manifest slightly in in the intensity of some of the relationships that i've got myself into um because you know i meet someone i'm like this person's incredible we connect so well let's let's go for it um and 
that for us for some people who you know we've touched yeah. on the phrase like aren't ready for that yeah. um you know timing or dynamic or whatever it might be um that can scare people off and then mm. abandonment anxiety goes ding 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 and we're we're kind of back in in old familiar patterns so um yeah it's um yeah an interesting one to think about is something yeah as i mentioned i've kind of read a lot around and tried mm. to educate myself on um but at the end of the day, there's also an element of sort of trusting your gut with this stuff and not yeah. overanalyzing it because that as well isn't particularly healthy. So finding a balance between, you know, knowing what works for you, trying to find that and then mm. also being able to settle in something and just go with it a little bit as well. And it seems like where you are now coming back to the present that like, you, you, I mean, you are very self-aware as a person, um, and of course, like you said, you're going through this process. There's always more to learn to understand. Mm. Um, but so, so, so from where you are now, you know, you've got a lot of really interesting things going on. You know, it sounds like you've got a lot of good relationships around you, good family, good friends. For you, what what what, what work is there left? Like, you know, going inside is a big task. Um, I assume there is a constant pro process. And from speaking to you before, it sounds like that you perhaps have a plan. Yeah, I think um, <laughs> the work the work is never done. I think, um, but I also, as I kind of touched on then with that thing about relationships and being able to go with it, you want to get yourself. You don't want to get yourself into. Um, I talk about like analysis paralysis, where you are constantly analysing everything that you're thinking and everything that you're doing being like why am i doing that why am i doing that because that is anxiety inducing in itself yeah. um, and i think that's part of the process of self-awareness is that you do kind of get yourself into that that point um, but as soon as you learn enough you can then take a step back and you've got that toolbox and that sort of base level of understanding that you can then use when you need to and you can actually live your life and just dip into it when you need to um i think in terms of my my own journey um and kind of looking forward um a lot of i suppose you know you mentioned i've got a fair bit going on and that's definitely a relatively new thing for me um and through the progress I made last year, like last year was a massive year of change for me and, and progress. Uh, and I came out of it um, having really come to terms with a lot of my own struggles. And on top of that, I had found a way in which to share that openly and get comfortable with that kind of vulnerability. And with that, all of this kind of facade and um, sort of, disconnection that I'd found from other people and myself kind of disappeared once I was able to openly start talking about what I'd gone through and what I was feeling and through that I was able to essentially rediscover who I was authentically so I was actually able to sort of get through this mist and this fog that I think a lot of people experience and then realize what do I actually enjoy? What do I actually care about? What am I passionate about? And as a result, sort of having that weight lifted and that mm. newfound interest and passion for stuff, I was able to go like, shit, I can actually like, I feel like I can do this stuff now rather than just, I was always a massive case when I was growing up of having lots of good ideas and never doing any of them. Mm. Like the ideas were there, but I just didn't have sort of the energy or the confidence to follow through with that and I'm now in a place where 
as a lot of people who have struggled with depression and anxiety can probably sympathize with like your energy is just not there and you mm. need that energy to to do stuff at a very basic level um so that kind of um combination of that energy and that passion for things that i refound through mm. just actually being willing and able to be my fully myself um has kind of led to this point where i'm at now um but as i kind of mentioned at the start there's always more work to be done so um i'd like to think i'm kind of in a next stage of that awareness where it's sort of being proactive rather than yeah. reactive so i'm thinking about how i can be even more self-aware and how i can understand um things that trigger me and why that might be triggering me. And um, you mentioned right in, in the intro about training to be a breathwork coach and the guy that's training me, a guy called Alan Dolan, something he always says is that it's never about what it's about. Mm. I think that's very simple, but really effective in thinking like what I'm feeling, a, what am I feeling? Um, what do I think is causing that feeling? And then what's actually causing that feeling? Like this person is really annoying me why they annoy me because they are really arrogant in my perception yeah but what is that really about it's because i am really uncomfortable with the concepts myself of being arrogant so that's mm. why i'm projecting that onto them and that's why i dislike this person it's actually my own yeah. discomfort with arrogance that yeah. is making me dislike this arrogant person and that's been a really big big learning so trying to always think like it's never about what it's about. What is this really yeah. to do with? Um, it's also like, it's about that reframing. Because I think, I think it was, I think it's a Buddhist quote. Don't quote me. But <laughs> it was someone who said, for, for every person that basically pisses you off, in your head, you say, thank you for teaching me patience. Mm. And when I read that, I was just like, that's a really, really, really good point. What, why get angry? If you reframe it and say, okay, you can unpack that. Why, you know, why, why is that person frustrating me? Maybe they're arrogant, et cetera. But at the same time, one, you could, yes, you could understand why that arrogance affects you particularly. And that's, and that is a fascinating insight into yourself. But also at the same time, you can say, hold on, actually, I can use this to build my resilience. Oh, and actually this person is this, this, these, these annoying people in my perception are actually really, really useful to me. So actually carry on being annoying to me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I, that this, the whole concept of framing, um, in terms of, uh, framing, yeah, your experiences, framing your thoughts, framing your self-talk like that's been a massive one. Like what is my yeah. dial, my internal dialogue like, yeah. and if it's negative then that's that's no good um how can you yeah reframe patterns of thinking like it kind of comes back to concepts in cbt and cognitive mm. behavioral therapy like how can i reframe this behavior pattern how can i reframe this trigger this yeah. thought this feeling yeah. um it's really really powerful it's interesting what you were saying like from your where you are now at 27 it sounds like what you've been doing is you know in terms of what you've been doing the relationships work interest friends whatever you've been experimenting you've been prototyping you've understood what you like and what you don't and and it seems to me now that you know every day we encounter a billion different choices and by understanding who you are what you like and having a very clear understanding of that it makes your kind of process of making choices quite simple Mm. Um, and also a bit narrower as well, which is helpful. So when in, in a situation where, where you're saying, okay, th there's a new business opportunity, which is, which has sprung to mind, actually based on those experiments, 
you're saying, okay, that idea doesn't tick any of my boxes because I know what those boxes are. Therefore, it's a very easy no from me. Whereas pr perhaps previously you can get lost in that excitement of, oh God, you know, it's going to be massive and this and that, and, you know. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Something I've said to a couple of people recently, like I really have over the last almost two years, um, kind of treated myself as a bit of a guinea pig, like figuring out what works for me as I was saying about my podcast guest the other day, Harry Liddell, like getting a PhD in my own mind and yeah. um, figuring out what actually works for me. And um, that's, I, I don't take that lightly as well, because I think that's quite a privileged position to be in. And I'm very grateful that I've been able to get myself through the really dark stuff in order to be able to do that. Like I wouldn't have been able to do that when yeah. I was sitting on the floor of my office toilets having a panic attack like that's yeah. a very different situation so mm -hmm. i'm not saying this is necessarily a way to get yourself through that but if you're on that path to becoming more aware of what you are and what you're feeling and your own self-awareness i think just that again framing and saying like i'm going to try this and you might actually end up feeling terrible but being able to then have that outside in view and being like okay that's why i'm feeling bad we'll get through this bad feeling tomorrow i'll feel better and we'll find something else um so yeah that, and you feel better exactly yeah. yeah and that that experimentation element has definitely been been important for me for sure and you bring in those it's almost the it's almost it's like, it's like when you build a house you're what you're able to do through through those experiments is you'll come up you're validating your own assumptions about yourself and you're able to come up with you know design principles for your life like these this is the elements of my life which brings me joy and positivity and therefore this is what i'm going to focus on because if i project those out throughout time until the day i die that sounds like it's going to be a pretty positive life of course there's going to be ups and downs there's loads of uncertainty in the middle of that but framing it in those foundational terms based on yourself is really powerful absolutely and i think um people talk about sort of your being your being self and your doing self and i think that that space in between those two there are things that will happen in between but if you can always be relatively secure with those sort of principles and foundations in your being self and whatever's going on around you being able to have that that moment that space between like a trigger and how you respond to it um that's really powerful I, one of the most i was reading a book about the principles of yoga really randomly about a year ago and there's only one i didn't even finish it and there was one thing that really stuck with me and it was about um the word responsibility mm. and it trying to reframe that as the ability to respond and understanding that you have the ability mm. to respond to triggers to people to situations however you choose and that for me was so powerful in a place where I was still learning a lot of this stuff to feel so much less passive to my triggers and to other people mm. and realize that I could create a bit of breathing space, a bit of thinking space before I became reactive because a lot of t the time that process is there's a trigger and you go into this reactive mode where your emotions take over. And before you know it, you're in my case having a panic attack, yeah. but as soon as I sort of understood that I did have more control over how I responded to things, that was really powerful. And I think with a lot of mental health issues and from my own experience, anxiety, especially 
your anxiety doesn't control you. It might feel like it does, but it doesn't have to, I think would be the message that I'd want to get across. It's just learning how, A, learning what those triggers are. That's the first step is identification, but then actually being able to create that space so that you can say, that is my trigger. Rather than just feeling the trigger, you're like, oh, there it is. Yeah. Pause. How do I want to respond to this? Rather it's that pause, which if you can consciously get that pause in place, it's really interesting. I've never considered the word responsibility as being any way linked to the word response, but of course it is. And actually, that's a really good point. If you can, in this situation, go pause, what's going on? Is this valid? Mm. It's a very powerful tool. It's really powerful and sounds so much easier than it actually is. Yeah. <laughs> I don't want to... The emotion, the rage is rushing over you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I think, yeah, it's learning, learning what those triggers are so that when they come up, you know that it is a trigger. And by the time you've had that thought that's like, there's my trigger, you've actually created that space because you've not let it take over and that emotion hasn't just risen straight up to the surface surface and you're not super reactive. So, um, yeah, I love that one just about the ability to respond. It's been really powerful for me. And it's, it's that as well. You're, you're, you're now visualizing yourself. Like you said, when you were 15, you were living in it. Whereas Mm. now you're, you're stepping away and watching it and almost, almost objectively in a very strange way, given that you are your own subjective. Yeah, exactly. you able seeing that thing? I, I suppose in some respects, you talk about negative self-talk. You could talk back if you see something that's a trigger that you're not happy with. You, you know, you, you, you. I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't just say, "No, I don't agree with that. Go away." Piss yeah, me. I think it's it's one of the, um, you know, it's one of the first things you learn about meditation is around, um, I think Headspace. The guys on Headspace call it noting, um, but just that act of when you are meditating. Um, and you're trying to stay present and a thought comes in, watching it, seeing it, observing it, acknowledging it without judgment and letting it go. And I, that, that is something that is harder to do when you're active and when you're doing things and just living your life. But the more you practice that, the more you realize that, you know, your thoughts are things at the end of the day, they are things that occur to you Mm. and you can choose how to interact with them. So you talk about meditation and I know you're trained to be a breathwork coach at the moment. You talked earlier about your toolkit. Now, Mm. uh, where you are now, uh, you know, I I would love to understand what's in your toolkit now. Um, And how has that toolkit been shaped by some, maybe some other negative experiences that you've had? How have you used that toolkit in those perhaps very difficult situations? For sure. Yeah. Um, It's a great question. I think, there are some very common, um, and I, I don't like to dismiss them as cliches because they're common pieces of advice for a reason. You know, the old one around exercise is one that gets thrown out all the time. And there's a reason for that is because if you are in a position where you feel like you can exercise physiologically, that will have benefits to your mental health. It's not really a debate. Um, so that for me has always been a part of, you know, feeling good. Um, and but also having a healthy relationship with it and not kind of beating myself up when I don't. Um, so that's, that's always been one. Um, what else is in the toolkit? I think just kind of energy management is, and I talk, um, 
you know, being in, in the space of breath work and meditation, there is talk always around energy from more of a spiritual, some people would say kind of woo woo energy. It's not, I think it kind of, um, devalues a little bit when people talk about it like that but that kind it's of more motivational energy energy that's not yeah. derived from food but obviously comes exactly. from something because it gets us up and doing something yeah exactly yeah. um but on the other end sort of pure energy that you actually need to function so mm. you're talking about like real physical energy and again it's a self-awareness thing of knowing what takes your energy you know this conversation takes a certain amount of energy with we're dialed in we're talking about you know some some relatively deep heavy stuff so that's going to i know that that's going to take my energy mm. and so if i'm looking at my week you know i was telling you this is a particularly busy week and i've probably um bitten off more than my energy can can handle mm. um and you know for example i had a dinner booked in tomorrow night that i've just cancelled because up until then i didn't have any evenings free and that for me is something i know if i want to reserve some of that energy i need to do so it feeds into this conversation around self-care and being able to put yourself first when it comes to your own energy tank and your own um, supply so knowing what gives you energy but also knowing what takes that energy away and being able to think about it if you want for a lot of people it helps think about it from a very scientific perspective being like you have x amount of energy this 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 and this are going to take away this and this are going to add therefore on thursday i'm going to feel a bit knackered so why don't i move that to next week create some time for myself do mm. something in that time that helps me and rebuild some of that yeah, energy yeah yeah that makes and sense. yeah that that for me has probably been one of the most powerful things um and i definitely recommend checking out a guy called chevy ruff mm -hmm. um he, he came on my podcast um quite a while ago now but he is the expert on this he um talks about it very clearly very um concisely about how this things like energy cycles and and you know I, I always marvel, I don't know if marvel's the right word, um, admire my flatmate because he actually does this without knowing any of this stuff. But he works He works a very intense job, um, a lot of time in different time zones as well. And he'll be, he knows what he has to get done in a week, but he will block out at 4 p.m. on a Friday, a two hour nap because he knows he then has to work and do, you know, eight till midnight on yeah. a project. So it's that kind of, and rather than just go 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 and do 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 actually being able to step back and go god this is really gonna wear me out and if i want to be kind of working or talking or performing at my best i'm mm -hmm. gonna have to shift some of this stuff around to manage my energy so that's been a big one um and then breath work i can i can not i can not yeah bring so now talk to us about breath work so it's something that i am um, i'm naive about mm. um i i've done a little bit i we, we you very kindly were involved in the parity festival live session so i i i, I undertook that uh, that um that breath work session which i found well it frankly made me feel very relaxed which was great can you explain a bit more yeah it's um something that i'm constantly learning about um and i've been practicing myself uh for about two years now and it's a really broad term and i think it for me anyway you'll have you'll hear different people talk about it in different ways but for me my understanding of it is that um it ranges from anything 
from how we are breathing. So breathing functionally and optimally for our physical health and our mental health. So using as much of our lung capacity as possible, getting that exchange of oxygen and carbon dioxide optimal. Lots of us have dysfunctional breathing patterns all the way through to things like breathwork for emotional integration, where you're actually um, helping people to process um, things like trauma or emotional blockages in the body. And then in the middle, you've got things like we did at the Parity Festival, just sort of regulatory breathing practices. So using your breath consciously to enact changes in your emotional and mental state. So there's a little bit of a yeah. A long answer because there, there are lots of different facets to it, but at its core, um, we're all very aware that when you, ch if there's a change in your emotional or mental state, so let's say you become anxious, um, your physiology, your body will then change. So heart rate will go up, palms will sweat, breathing rate will go up. We're all pretty aware with, of that. Mm. What we're less aware of is that our um, breath can actually work in the other direction. So um, that's all managed by something called our autonomic nervous system, or some people call it the automatic nervous system, which is responsible for all of the things that happen in your body without you having to consciously think about it. So things like your heart rate that change without you having to do anything. Um, and the breath is the only tool that works in both directions. So if you can consciously control your breathing, you can stimulate responses in your emotional and mental states so that's why you know we've been told for years to breathe deeply when you're anxious and that is just slow diaphragmatic breathing into your belly that uh, stimulates the it's a long long-winded scientific term the parasympathetic branch of the autonomic nervous system bit of a mouthful but it's referred to a lot as the rest and digest mode and it's that state that we need to be in to rest and digest and relax um, can that bring down those stress levels exactly so that will then actually if you slow your breathing everything else can then start to to reset and, and slow down and down regulate so that then has a, an impact on the body and you know you then get yourself into a, a much more still state now you may not know the answer to this question sure is the the two-way function yeah. is that evolutionary i.e us as organisms can ha have a stress management system that we can consciously control it's a good question i don't i don't know the answer my guess would be and i'm pretty sure that animals do this much better than we do because they're not conscious so their, their autonomic nervous system actually functions as it should without them having to consciously think about it. The only reason that breathwork has become a thing, I think, is because we've screwed ourselves over. And yeah. as conscious thinking beings, we actually think we know better than the body. So the mind sort of takes over and puts us into, you know, we've created cities that by virtue put us into a much more hypervigilant anxious state. Mm. So lots of us live breathing into our upper chest and in the fight and flight part of the nervous system. So your body is always on high alert. So we've created breath work so that we can actually help people move back into that rest and digest state. That's fascinating. And it's amazing how you link it to, to the 
the built environment as well. Mm. In that situation, then having an awareness of, of physically, you know, we talked about life design earlier, where you want to live, how does an urban environment make you feel compared to if you were in a rural or a suburban environment? Yeah. Actually, you can, you can start to I swear, unpack that. And if you, like you said, if you do d- decide that you are going to live in a city where you are going to be, you know, you are going to be much more, you know, uh, anxious, you know, because of various pressures coming onto you, you've got a tool to be able to say, okay, despite this, I can control it. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, we've covered a lot of quite complex things within breathwork. If there was one thing for anyone listening that I would advise you to do, it would just be to become aware of how you're breathing throughout the day. Cause there's two facets to that. You then notice if you're breathing really quickly and breathing really shallow and you can just take some deeper breaths and help yourself that quickly. Um, and also we talk about creating that, you know, there is the, the phrase breathing space, but creating that space in your, um, thinking and in your behavior patterns in that if you're going into a situation that is making you anxious and your first thought is how am i breathing you're then actually distracted from the trigger and you're actually thinking about what's going on in your body rather than all of these sort of intrusive thoughts and i think that to come a long way around to the original question has been incredibly powerful for me to actually be paying attention to what's going on in my body mm. trusting that and then because of what i've learned being able to change that not just becoming aware of it and sort of tweaking it slightly but actually being able to fully affect that and have more control over what is going on and breathwork fundamentally i assume forms part of your toolkit as well i'd say it's probably the biggest part yeah sort of breathwork combined with energy management i think those yeah. two are quite quite linked as well because it's just a case of using the breath to identify when my energy might be lower and actually in some cases using breath work to create more energy um or doing a longer breath work session to um in you know tomorrow evening when i've now got some free time doing yeah. it in that part of of my day mm. um so yeah those two i think have probably been the biggest the biggest parts for me so and and just just for the just, just for the final part of what we're going to talk about like can you give us a practical practical example so let's say you've received or i've received some particularly bad news mm. someone calls up and say this has happened and you can feel yourself going to wow you know shock whatever it is mm-hmm. from breathwork perspective what are the steps what are the actions yeah um there's there's a lot of a lot of options but you know it would be as simple as um you know seated or lying down or wherever is wherever is comfortable just taking one hand putting it on your belly you can breathe in and out of the nose or in the nose and out of the mouth and it would just be something it's called called cadence breathing just four second inhale through the nose and a six second exhale so a, a longer exhale than the inhale um, and the exhale naturally stimulates that rest and digest state yeah. more. Um, and also focusing on breathing down into your belly and into your diaphragm. So I think and that's why you have the, your hand there so you can exactly. feel it go in and out. It's kind of a physical reminder to, to breathe into your belly. Um, so that would be kind of just a very simple, like do that. And not only is the physiology of how you're breathing 
diminishing that that anxiety or whatever you might be feeling but focusing on your breathing mm. has also taken your mind away from that anxiety as well so it's kind of a double whammy like you're actually doing something physically and um practically to affect change but you're also doing something that takes you out of that reactive kind of immediate response mm. state as well and it's amazing now you hearing you talking about it like you can see your eyes light up you know in terms of this is something that you deeply passionately yeah. you know believe in and it works and it works it works for it works for millions of people mm. and i think my kind of my kind of kind of last comment is you started with a very sad situation when you were 15 mm. what you've come now is is a you know you boy to man a man who's living authentically, a man who understands more about himself every day, um, seems to enjoy what he's doing and can make good choices from that. That stemmed from those bad situations. And it seems to me the more, more conversations we have on these podcasts is that there are all these bad situations and it's, it's how you deal with it and how you progress. And yeah. frankly, if we didn't have those bad situations, we'd, we would never be able to live. We're not born perfect, authentic beings. We seem to need a push to get there. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, I was actually having this conversation with someone yesterday. And when you're in that, that place of struggle and despair, um, you're never there like thinking, oh, yeah, I'm going to learn so much from this. It's going to be a really positive thing. <laughs> it's the last thing you'd ever think. Um, but looking back, you know, I've mentioned hindsight a few times. Looking back, I'm, I'm very grateful for, for the experiences because I wouldn't be who I am right now without them. Um, and I actually, speaking of kind of being a, a guinea pig for myself, I um, did a, a, an RTT, rapid transformational therapy session, um, which is a brand or style of hypnotherapy mm -hmm. a couple of weeks ago, just because I've always been curious about it. And um, I think there's some power in hypnosis in accessing some of your subconscious patterns. Like I'm very conscious and aware of lots of my issues, but actually, some things you need to dig a bit deeper and one of the most powerful things that um the therapist told me and that i keep coming back to every day since since that session um was taking my 15 year old self to my flat where i live now and showing him <laughs> everything that i'm doing wow and that perspective honestly it sounds so simple but mm. it blew me away like the gratitude i felt the um pride i felt of, of that difference between that 15 year old version of me and what i'm doing now and the fact that i'm still you know striving to do more and that i'm at quite an early stage in this plan this journey this progress whatever you want to call it um yeah that perspective kind of blew me away a little bit so mm. I'm, I'm super grateful to uh to grace for for that um and that yeah i think if if people are through their stuff i think if you're working through your stuff it's it's a difficult one to get your head around but if you're um struggling with your relationship with yourself which i think a lot of people are just think about you know when you're much younger and feeling a bit lost and, and hopeless and close your eyes and, and bring that version of yourself to where you are now and just show them show them everything you've done um and i think it, it, it can make a big difference for people i think having like you know you know someone told me 
long time ago, having a relationship with your earlier self as well. Not necessarily, you're, okay, yes, showing them around, seeing how proud you are, what you've achieved, but also looking at them and you know, putting your, your hand on their shoulder and say, mm. it's going to be all right. Yeah, I think um, it's not something I know a huge amount about, but people talk about reparenting. And I think if you've experienced trauma as a child, um, there's an element of that sort of self-reparenting where you need to teach yourself or reteach yourself some of the things that your parents may have shown you that you've forgotten or may never have, have shown you and taught you. So once you have that kind of perspective, actually, as you rightly said, like having that relationship with young, your younger self is really, really important, I think. Um, and yeah, that I think has been... A bit, bit of a game changer in the last couple of weeks for me in terms of just how I, how I think about where I'm at now. Jamie, we have covered a broad range of topics. Thank you so much for, well, one for say, speaking about your own um, journey and story so, so candidly, but also your, from your professional you know, perspective as well and really like understanding the benefits of, of, of Breathwork and your toolkit as well. So thank you so much for a fascinating, right. insightful conversation. Thank you for having me, Matt. Really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone listening. Um, you can subscribe to us on most major podcast platforms, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, just search for Sidekick Community or Psychic Stories and we'll pop up. Jamie, thank you again. Thanks, Matt. Mm-hmm.